Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today is part two of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter three. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who seek him. So it's very merciful of God to show Abram such a powerful sign, broad daylight and stars, in order to increase Abram's faith. God said to Abram, so shall your descendants be. And Abram believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Remember that. Commit that verse, Genesis 15, 6 to memory because Paul will use it several times. Abram believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Okay, this is an 86-year-old man. He has no children. The Lord brings him outside in broad daylight, tells him to look at the number of the stars, count them if you're able. So shall your offspring be. This many kids you're going to have, Abram. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And Abraham said, oh Lord God, how am I to know? How am I to know that I will possess it? How How am I to know? Do you ever do that in your prayer time? Lord, you're praying for something and and you just want an answer. You say, Lord, how am I to know? Maybe you're discerning something, a vocation. Lord, how am I to know? Something about your kid. How am I to know? Zachariah's first question, the angel said, your old barren wife's going to have a baby. And he's Elizabeth. And he said, how shall I know this? Mary, the handmaid of the Lord, the Lord tells her and she says, let it be done according to your word. She knew she had submitted to intentional virginity. She wondered, I don't know a man, but let it be done to me according to your word. Abraham very humanly says, how am I to know? And the Lord in his mercy says, Abram, bring me a heifer, three years old, a she-goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these, cut them in two, lay them half against each other, but he did not cut the birds in two. In Abram's time, this wouldn't have been too strange because this was commonly done in Near East ancient treaties. It's called making a blood covenant. The parties involved would walk through the path of blood between the slaughtered animals as if to say, may this be done to me if I do not keep my part of the oath. I will keep my word or my own blood will be spilled upon the earth. This specific blood covenant was known as the Abrahamic covenant and the blood involved in this covenant as with any blood covenant signifies the life, the lifeblood, the life from which the blood comes. Life is in the blood. Draining an animal of blood meant draining it of life. Abraham brought God all these. He cut them in two. He laid them against each other. He didn't cut the birds. When the birds came down, the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses. Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Now someone else in Genesis was put into a deep sleep. You know, the first man, Adam. The Lord God caused him to fall into a deep sleep. Abram, as the sun is going down, the Lord causes a deep sleep to fall on Abram. And lo, a dread and great darkness fall upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for surety that your descendants will be sojourners in a land that is not there and they will be slaves there and they will be oppressed for 400 years. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Now a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between. 
Abram's deep sleeping. So is God alone that's passing through the blood? Abram's in a deep sleep. God alone passed through the blood. This blood covenant would not depend on the faithfulness of Abraham. God doesn't allow Abram to even walk through the blood. Only God passed through the blood, Abram sleeping. This blood covenant does not depend on Abram being faithful. The blood covenant only depends on God being faithful. Even if Abraham is not faithful, God will be faithful to the blood covenant. Only God is responsible for upholding this (laughs) covenant, and he's taking Abram's part himself. God's saying, if this covenant is broken by either party, may only my blood be shed. The blood covenant will depend solely on the faithfulness of God. God put forward Jesus as an expiation by his blood to be received by faith. Romans 3.25. This is God in the second person of the Trinity. These are one in the same. He is faithful to the Father in all things to the very end. An expiation by the blood of Jesus to be received by faith. Abram was sound asleep in a deep sleep. The covenant was solely dependent on the faithfulness of God to uphold. God alone passed through the blood of the split animals in the form of a cloud of vapor and flame. That's usually the Holy Spirit in scripture. The blood covenant will depend solely on the faithfulness of God. Now, take that in a minute. Did God's words come true to Abraham? The surety that your descendants would be sojourners in a land not theirs and slaves for 400 years. The Lord continues, but I will bring judgment on the nation which they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Well, they had 400 and 30 years of slavery from Egypt. And in Exodus 3, the Lord tells them that they will despoil the Egyptians. And we know in Exodus 32 that they had enough gold from Egypt to craft a large golden calf, one of the gods of Egypt named Apis. The time when the people of Israel dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. When our study ended last year, we ended Genesis with the patriarch Joseph. We left when Joseph was in charge, second in command, the viceroy of Egypt, the Pharaoh's right-hand man. The very next book in Torah is Exodus. It begins with Moses the Deliverer. 430 years had passed, and there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Let's deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and war befall us. They set taskmasters over the Jews to afflict them with heavy burdens. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they made the people of Israel serve with rigor, and their lives were bitter with hard service, mortar, bricks, and all kinds of work in the field. They made them work and serve with rigor. They were slaves for 430 years, just as God had told Father Abraham. In Exodus 2, the people of Israel groan under their bondage. They cry under their bondage, and they cry out to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God's saw the people of Israel and God knew their condition. And that time, the people of Israel dwelt for 430 years. Now, during that 430 years, they did not have the law of Moses, but they did have the circumcision of Abram. Back to Genesis, back to Genesis 15. What happened when Abram woke up from that deep sleep? Well, Sarai was 76 years old, Abram's wife, and she bore him no children. But Sarai had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, 
The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my maid. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Now remember, God alone passed through the blood. This covenant's not going to be dependent on Abram's faithfulness. Even if Abram's not faithful, God will be faithful to the blood covenant. Was Abram faithful? He hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Stop, Abram, stop. What if Abram would have said, no, Sarai? We must trust God completely. We must trust God's plan. We can't take matters into our own hands. I heard the voice of God Almighty. He showed me his vision. You were included, Sarai. It's through my own seed and your womb, Sarai. This is your plan, not God's plan. Do not put your husband to the test. What if he would have said that? Just as Eve had offered Adam the forbidden fruit, Sarai is offering Abram forbidden fruit. And Timothy will warn Timothy gets a warning from St. Paul about women. Paul says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Sarai would offer Abram a type of forbidden fruit. And just as Adam had accepted the forbidden fruit from Eve, so too would Abram accept the forbidden fruit from Sarai. Both men succumbed to the temptation to transgress, offered by their very own wives who had been deceived not to trust God's word. God had spoken directly to both Adam and Abram. We see some passivity in some of the men of the Bible, men who were to be spiritual leaders. But both Eve and Sarai took the bait, and both women were deceived to not trust God. God's word, and the men went along with it. Hagar was Sarai's maidservant, so Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Cana, and Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Abram went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she, Hagar, saw that she, Hagar, had conceived, she, Hagar, looked with contempt upon her mistress, Sarai. What's contempt? Feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless or deserving scorn despicable. Young pregnant Hagar now had contempt for old Baron Sarah. But old Baron Sarai was in charge over young pregnant Hagar. But young Hagar was pregnant with Abram's son and his sole heir. So who's in charge of who? (laughs) Young Hagar holds old Sarai's contempt. You are beneath my consideration. You are worthless. You are deserving scorn. You're despicable. Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my maid to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looks on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your maid is in your power. Do with her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar and Hagar fled from her. It was so bad living with Sarai that being a pregnant woman out in the harsh desert looked better than staying in Sarai's household. But the angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness or the spring on the way to Shur and said to Hagar, maid of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said, I will so greatly multiply your descendants, Hagar, that they cannot be numbered for multitudes. Well, that's just the same thing the Lord had promised Abram. I will so greatly multiply your descendants that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said, behold, you are with child. You will bear a son. You will call his name Ishmael. From the Hebrew, Ishmael means God has heard. Because the Lord has heard, has given heed to your affliction, God has heard. So Ishmael shall be a wild ass of a man, his hand against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Now Ishmael is known in Judaism and in Christianity and Islam. Born to Hagar, in Islam, Ishmael is regarded as a prophet and as an ancestor to Muhammad. And so Hagar called upon the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Thou art a God of seeing, she said. I 
Have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the son whom Hagar bore Ishmael, from the Hebrew word meaning God will hear. Now Ishmael is is Hebrew's firstborn son by Hagar. And Abram's 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Was God pleased with Abram? Remember, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So was God pleased with Abram? Silence. As Abram had been silent with Sarai, God will now be silent with Abram. And God was silent, completely silent for a very long time. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord God appeared again. This would have been 13 years later. God had been silent for 13 years and a lot can happen in 13 years. Now Ishmael was a 13-year-old adolescent male and Sarai was still barren and childless. And the Lord God said to Abram, I am God Almighty. Walk before me, Abram, and be blameless. Be righteous. I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now Abram means exalted father, but it's changed to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. And God said to Abraham, as for your wife, Sarai, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Sarah's name is changed as well. Sarai means princess. It's changed to Sarah, my princess, God's princess. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall come from her. She's 90 years old. I'm going to establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. It's going to be an everlasting covenant. (laughs) I'm going to give you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Cana for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants for all the generations. But this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you, that every male among you shall be circumcised. I love this mid-century biblical drawing of the self-circumcision of Abraham. (laughs) You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, Abram had not trusted God in his flesh, but God will bless Abraham with a covenantal sign, a visible sign of an invisible reality, a visible sign, the circumcision of the flesh of an invisible reality, my everlasting blood covenant with you, which is only dependent on God's faithfulness alone. And every single time Abram looks down, he will remember this everlasting covenantal sign that God has now given him marked permanently in his flesh. He will be reminded that his own flesh is weak. He's marked in his flesh by a visible sign on the life-giving organ of his body. God is a God of life, eternal life, and eternal fruitfulness and faithfulness. Now you can imagine Abraham telling the men in his tribe and his family about the meeting he had with God today. After 13 years of silence, I heard from the Lord. And he said, we shall circumcise the flesh of our foreskins. 
what a day that must have been. But circumcision became essential for each and every Hebrew male. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He that is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. So all Jewish males had to make the cut. And when the Lord told Abram, I will give you a son by Sarah, 90-year-old Sarah, Abram fell on his face and laughed. And he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham made a plea to God. He said, oh, oh, oh just that Ishmael might live in thy sight. Could we, could we just do this through Ishmael, my 13-year-old son? And God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And Isaac means laughter. I will establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him. I'll make him fruitful. I'll multiply him exceedingly. He shall be the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And what God had promised did come true. The old barren couple did have a baby son. It was a supranatural birth. There were no human reason for it other than God keeps his promises. Now, Ishmael was 13 years old when he was circumcised. Think about this. But Isaac will be eight days old. God told Abraham, commanded him that the, the eight-day-old would have his flesh circumcised. And scholars say that Isaac was the first of Abram's tribe to be circumcised on the eighth day. He was the next baby to be born. The eighth day would be a covenantal sign day for all generations to come. Isaac is a type of Jesus. Jesus, the anti-type, is always greater than the type. Isaac means laughter. Jesus means God saves. Sheer joy that the Holy Spirit will deliver on Pentecost. Isaac was a type of Jesus, a new covenant sign on the eighth day. Jesus, the anti-type of Isaac, will, will offer a new covenant sign on the eighth day, the day of his resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus on the eighth day was a visible sign of an invisible reality that Jesus had conquered death, crushed it. At his last supper, Jesus took the cup, which is poured out. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, the new covenant in my blood. God alone passed through the blood. And even if Abraham had not been faithful, God would still be faithful to the blood covenant promised to Abraham. And if this covenant was broken, may my blood be shed for yours, Abram. God put forward Jesus as an expiation by his blood to be received by faith. The blood covenant depended solely on God's faithfulness. Jesus, the son of father Abraham, is a new Isaac. And at Pentecost, all are filled with laughter. Isaac means laughter. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. They were laughing so hard, people thought they were drunk and made fun of them, saying they've had too much wine. The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It won't be Isaac's blood shed on Mount Moriah. It'll be Jesus' blood shed on Mount Moriah, the same mountain range. The covenant is not dependent on the faithfulness of Abraham or Isaac. Jesus will be the new Isaac, my only begotten son. God put forward Jesus as an expiation by his blood to be received by faith. And on the eighth day, Jesus would be a new covenant sign. Abram's number one son, Ishmael, was conceived through human cleverness with Hagar. 
Abram's number two son, Isaac, would be his only begotten son by the two of them, both Sarah and Abraham, supranaturally. Isaac was the son of God's promise. Isaac was circumcised on the eighth day. And an eight-day-old infant has nothing. They have done nothing to deserve or to earn or any works that would place them in God's eternal family. It is a sheer gift of life. It is a sheer gift of belonging to God's family. No one asked the baby's permission to cut his foreskin. The baby did not schedule the procedure or give informed consent. The baby boy did absolutely nothing. It's God's sheer gift. It's life in the Trinity. It's part of the covenant. Yet, he's been gifted with a permanent sign, a permanent mark on his flesh, showing outwardly that he belongs to the family family of God. Maybe Isaac was circumcised on day eight as a sign of God's love. Paul tells the Ephesians, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. An eight-day-old child can boast of nothing. It's God's sheer gift of life belonging to the covenant through the Father's love and the Trinity. Baby Isaac was circumcised on day eight. Ishmael was circumcised when he was 13 years old. For the Jews, age 13 is the age of da'at, the age of awareness. We in the new covenant are baptized on the eighth day, confirmed at age 13 at the age of awareness. Nothing the baby has done. It's sheer grace. At the time of confirmation, the young adolescent, the young adult says for themselves, they're a soldier of Christ. They themselves can choose if they want to get confirmed or not. Abraham discerned many positive qualities in 13-year-old Ishmael and was prepared, even desirous to see him as an heir. But God insisted that his covenant with Abraham be perpetuated specifically through Isaac and Isaac's descendants. But God shows no partiality. It was for all the nations, all the world. There are Catholic saints have converted from the Islamic faith. Constantine the African was a physician. He converted from Sunni Islam. Albertus here, he converted to Catholicism from Islamic faith. He's the first native Indonesian bishop. The Queen Nasli of Egypt converted to Catholicism from Sunni Islam. She took the name Mary Elizabeth. And I love Batika. In 1877, she was a seven-year-old uh, girl who was seized by Arab slave traders who had abducted her older sister just two years earlier. She's forced to walk 600 miles, sold twice. Over the course, she sold three more times and then given away. Bakita's not her name, but because of the trauma of all her abductions, she couldn't remember her name. And so they called her Bakita, which means lucky. In 1882, she was brought to Italy by a merchant, brought to Venice. And there in Italy, she heard about the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ. Here Pope Francis is holding her up on her feast day of February 8th, 217. Throughout her life, Josephine, her, the name she chose, would kiss the baptismal font often and tell people, here, here, here is where I became a daughter of God. Towards the end of her life, she said, be good, love the Lord, pray for those who do not know him. What a great grace it is to know God. She became a Catholic nun. I'm now coming to the end, but I want to read to you Romans chapter 3 out loud so you can hear it as Paul would have argued it. You can just close your eyes and listen. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews are entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some are unfaithful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though every man be false, as it is written, that thou mayest be justified in thy words and prevail when thou art judged. Paul there is quoting the Old Testament. 
that thou mayest be justified in thy words and prevail when thou art judged, is what David said in Psalm 51, his psalm of contrition, against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment, Lord. Back to Romans 3, verse 5. But if our wickedness serves to show the justice of God, what shall we say? That God is unjust to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if I, through my falsehood, God's truthfulness abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For I've already charged that all men, both Jews and Greeks, are under the power of sin. As it is written, none is right. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have all gone wrong. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by works of the law, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Paul's saying the purpose of the law was to show us our sins so that we can repent. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as an expiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies him who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On the principle of works? No, but on the principle of faith. For we hold that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. And he will justify the circumcised on the ground of their faith and the uncircumcised through their faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Circumcision, my friends, came 430 plus years before the law, but many years before he was ever circumcised. Abraham believed the Lord and God counted it to Abraham as righteousness. It can be the law that helps us stay in relationship, right relationship with God. And we'll discuss that in our next lesson. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for St. Paul and we thank you that we've been justified and made righteous, put back into right relationship with the Trinity through one thing, the blood of Jesus Christ that has expiated us, that has exonerated us and set us free from the bondage of sin and death. We thank you for this apostle. We thank you for his eloquent words. We ask your Holy Spirit to help us understand them. We thank you that you've revealed yourself over hundreds of years through many different people. And tonight we thank you for Abraham and that he saw those stars and that he had faith and he believed. Help us also to believe. Amen.
That was part two of Paul's Letter to the Romans, chapter three, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.